0: God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it speaks to us. And Father, we ask that it would uh, speak clearly into our hearts and into our lives that we might obey it faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to talk to you all uh, about, uh, it's been about a month ago now, I took off for the Congo. And so. Elijah, you've got those pictures there. Um, um, a, lot of, a lot of folks have asked um, what it is that I was doing there and um, what, what, we were, what we were making happen. And I want to just spend about five minutes doing that before we get into God's Word together. Um, so you'll see there, there is the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, they're right smack dab in the middle of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, if you go to the next slide there, Elijah, you can see kind of a, a size reference. Uh, Africa is a lot bigger than a lot of people think it is. Um, that is the, that's Congo superimposed over the United States. It's a country of about 70 million people. And what we were there to do was to um, train guys, to train guys, to preach. Uh, what we were doing, we were there with the Evangelical Free Church, um, with a cadre of men who are about sixteen fellows, uh, who we are training to train others to train others to preach uh, the Bible, because here's the thing: in most places in the world, about eighty percent of the world's pastors have no formal biblical tr- uh, theological training whatsoever. And so what they, are, what they do as they stand in the pulpit is uh, whatever they have seen on American religious TV that gets shot by, by satellite all over the world, uh, some of which is probably okay, and a, ho- a whole lot of which is horrible. And so uh, a lot of people don't know how to open their Bible and preach it like it lays on the page. And explain to people what God's word says and what it means, and how it applies to their life. And so, um, so we who have been trained to do that uh, are going over to train guys to train other guys to do that. So I want to show you here, you know, the next picture here. Uh, this is a, a picture of a couple of guys. They're writing on the board. Uh, we we train them in uh, to to. Um, to do presentations that we tell them here's a passage of scripture we want you to preach it you have are you ready five minutes to explain to us what this passage says what it means and how it applies and you need to do it in five minutes because um, if you can't do it in five minutes then you probably don't really explain you really don't understand what the passage is about we were going through the book of genesis uh, we got all the way through chapter 12 with them uh, in the course of five days. Go to the next picture, if you would. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the setting we're in. We're in a, a cement block building, uh, which the roof does not keep out the rain, um, or the, and it's open on one side completely. Um, and uh, we're there next to a church, so it's a pretty rustic scenario. The, you see the back of the guy who is translating for us. Uh, his name is Abraham Mudidi, and he is a good brother uh, pastor. He's older than me. He's I think 48. And um, uh, go ahead to the next next slide. Uh, that's me up front. Uh, my training partner's taking the picture, and there's uh, some of the guys that you can see there. Next one. Go to the next one here. Uh, there's one of the guys preaching, uh, and he's uh, he's taken he's. He's doing the best that he can. Uh, A lot of these guys are really, really gifted men, um, but they are not trained. Go to the next one here. Uh, There's my training partner, uh, John Nett, from Eagle Grove, Iowa, which I don't know where that is either, Uh, (laughs) but uh, it's a little tiny town uh, close to Ames. Uh, Go to the next one. And then you you see me there. This is my favorite picture because I am barely in it. Um, you can just see kind of my shiny uh, head there in the back. Uh, but to me, that picture symbolizes what it is that we are there to do. We are there to be in the background. Uh, we are there uh, not to, uh, like I say, not to train guys, but to train men to train men. And so uh, this trip was the, this was the third module in uh, a three-year program that goes nine uh, total sessions. Uh, They want me to come back next fall and do number six, and then the following fall and do number nine with the same group of guys. And these 16 guys so far have reproduced the training we gave them to over 100 other pastors. Um, And so it is starting to multiply. Uh, In places where this process works successfully, uh, by the end of the third year, we'll be in the thousands of people who have been trained, who trained others, who trained others, who trained others. And, uh, and the biggest need, honestly, in Africa right now is, uh, is not food, it's not material things. It's, it's the deep teaching of God's Word. People are starving to death spiritually because many of them cannot read the Bible for themselves and uh, their pastors cannot explain it to them. In a coherent way, either, and so uh, so that's what we're there to do. We're there to equip guys who will equip guys who will equip guys who will equip guys, uh, that um, that the God's word might be powerfully taught and powerfully explained across the whole continent. And um, in fact, I think Pathways, the, the 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 group, the ministry of the EFCA that we were there with is now in or has been in about 25 countries. Um, There's only about 175 to go. Um, But uh, in every place that we go, we try to create not just the 16 guys that we train, but a whole movement of training that goes on long after after we are gone. So uh, anyway, thank you for your support in that. Thank you for your blessing us uh, so that we could go and do that. Uh, there'll be more opportunities to come. In fact, uh, I was talking to a guy last week who wants us to go to Haiti and do the same thing, um, and you know, create a, help build a network, and and uh, and train Haitian pastors to train Haitian pastors to train Haitian pastors. And so, uh, that would be an exciting thing. Also, it's also a shorter trip because this is about 28 hours on an airplane. Uh, to get there <laughs> uh, between departure and landing and layovers and all of that so uh, anyway, so thank you for partnering with us in that effort and for supporting me in your prayers and uh, with your finances to enable us to go uh, and to use the use the gifts and talents God has given me uh, to to train other guys to use their gifts and talents the same way so That actually is a pretty good lead-in to what we're, uh, you can shut that down at this point, Uh, is a pretty good lead-in to what we want to talk about this morning, which is spiritual gifts. Uh, Here in Romans chapter 12, Um, so uh, if you've got your Bible open there, um, spiritual gifts is the next subject that Paul is going to address there in verses 3 through 8 of Romans chapter 12. Uh, If you remember last week, we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Amen? And we talked about how your life is meant to be a sacrifice to God, to essentially say to God, as you come to Him in faith, my life is yours, you may do with me whatever you wish. Right? That's what we do when we commit ourselves to Christ. We commit our life to Him from start to finish. And we... And we uh, turn our lives over to him in such a way that we hold nothing back. And and Paul is then in the rest of this book, uh, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, a little bit in chapter 16 also, is going to tie off everything else that he is going to say about living the Christian life to chapter 12, verse 1, and then chapter 12, verse 2, about not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, Paul, what does that look like? Well, he's going to give us a whole long uh, section by section explanation of what it looks like to present your body as a living sacrifice, to give your life over to God, and then to refuse to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And spiritual gifts, which is the subject today, fits into that. That having a renewed mind includes recognizing that you have spiritual gifts and putting them to use. And offering your body as a sacrifice, one way that you do that is the use of your spiritual gifts. Okay? So, um, if you've got get your Bible open here, let's look at verse 3. Uh, verse 3 is a command. Do not think of yourselves more highly then you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, many of us, I know none of the rest of you struggle with this, but but I struggle with this, okay? So you just hang with me here as I explain uh, that pride is something that we have trouble overcoming. We are prone, or I am prone, to pride in ourselves, pride in myself. And pride comes in two forms. Uh, One is the kind of pride where you constantly talk about yourself and what you have done and how great you are and that kind of thing, right? If you turn into football to the post-game interviews and they interview the winning team, they'll usually pick one or two guys. And sometimes you'll get a guy who's pretty self-deprecating and who's like, well, it's a great team win. I'm just happy to be able to be allowed to play on this team because it's really fantastic uh to to be part of such a great organization. But every now and then you'll get a guy who has a little personality to him, who doesn't, who's not reading his the lines the PR department gave him, right? And he will say something like, You know, I'm the greatest cornerback to ever play this game. Or you know, it's not surprising that I got that interception because, you know, I mean, it's me, right? That's one form of pride, and we get that, and we understand that that's pride. The other form of pride is a little subtler. It's, it shows up not in boasting, but in false humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, Okay? Speak be clear on that. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. (laughs) All right? It is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Not having to be first and most important in everything. That's what real humility is. But false humility looks like this. um, That it's the person who is constantly self-deprecating out of a desire to have other people tell them how good they are right like hey you're really you're really great at that no 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 I, i'm not oh no yeah you are oh, oh no you know and then and then you have to like they want cuz they want to hear the other person tell them repeatedly no no oh, no that's really true right it's a form of pride. It's a it's a subtler form. It's a cloaked form. It doesn't look as ugly as the other kind. But Paul says, "Think with sober judgment." We all want to be the measuring stick for uh, for everybody else, don't we? And we all tend to think of ourselves more highly than we probably should. But the word here reminds us to flee from that temptation and to think of ourselves instead with sober judgment. In other words, to see yourself as you really are. Strengths and weaknesses. To see yourself as you really are. Well, how do we do that? The answer is in the last phrase of the verse. It says, Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, what that means is this, that we're not all the same. We are not all interchangeable cogs in a giant machine, are we? We're not all identical. We're not all the same. Some of us are more gifted in some areas than are others. Remember the parable that Jesus told? It's the parable of the talents. Now, talent is not, it came over into English to mean, you know, gift or ability. But originally, what talents meant was a weight of precious metal, okay? And he gave to one, the master gave to one servant uh, five talents. And he gave to another servant two talents and to the final servant, one talent, and the Scripture says, each according to their ability. In other words, the master recognized that I've got three different servants, and they've got different abilities, and I'm going to give them a proportional amount according to their abilities. In other words, the, the master did not give them all the same thing. Right? So some people who are tremendously gifted, have tremendous blessings from God. Five talents. Uh, Some have lesser abilities. They get two. Some have less than that. They get one. But when the master came to settle accounts with his servants, he did not judge them based on what they had but whether or not they used what they were given amen now I'll just be honest with you okay let me just shoot straight with you here okay I am not a five talent pastor I'm not I I there are lots of guys who are more gifted more spiritual um, better preachers say amen all right than <laughs> um, uh, than uh, I am right? But if I'm looking at the parable, I don't want to be uh, and I, I recognize I'm not that five talent guy. I don't have all of those gifts and abilities and talents and writing and preaching and speaking and so forth that some other people do have in the body of Christ. But but I don't I also don't want to be the guy who had one in the story, the guy who got his gift from the master and who did nothing with it right i'd be very happy to be the two-talent guy who got what he got and used it amen and i think that is the calling for most of us it's to recognize the full measure of the gifts that we do have neither overestimating or underappreciating what we receive and recognize them as gifts, things that are not native to us, but things that are, have come to us, as the Scripture says here, as God has assigned. In other words, I don't have less talent than some other people because somehow, you know, there's some deficiency in me. It's because God has assigned a measure to each one as he sovereignly pleases and chooses. And Paul himself gives us a good example of doing this, of a person who is looking at themselves with sober judgment. I'll Look at the first phrase here in verse 3. Look at how he introduces this, this sentence. He says, by the grace given to me. You know what he's talking about right there? He's talking about the fact that he is an apostle. And therefore has authority to give commands to people in the church. His apostleship is solely, though, by grace. By the grace given to me. It carried with it, though, a responsibility to instruct others in an authoritative way, which he is now carrying out. Amen? In giving them the command and giving us the command, Paul is using the grace gift given to him. And he's giving it to us in an, exam- in an exemplary way where he's saying, this is my gift, this is what I'm supposed to do, this is me doing it. And this is me telling you to do the same thing, to see yourself accurately. Another part, I think, of seeing yourself accurately is in verse 4 and 5, which tell us, uh, if you look closely there at 4 and 5, as in a body. It talks about how we're part of the body of Christ. The body has many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, here's the thing, one of the most important things that we could know about seeing ourselves accurately is that we are not the be-all and end-all of the Christian community, that you are part and merely part of a larger whole, the body of Christ. Um, It is, in other words, and I know this is hard for us sometimes to get our arms around, but The big deal in Christianity is not just me and Jesus. It is not just me and my personal relationship with Jesus. It is also we and Jesus. It's we and Jesus, in fact, much more than it is me and Jesus, if you read your Bible. Because you don't find very many letters in the, in the Bible, in fact, in, addressed to individual people. But you find a whole lot addressed this way. To the church who is at such and so, right? Why? Because the community is also important, right? I get very concerned about anybody's Christian life who says, well, you know, I just need to walk with Jesus by myself. You know, I'm going to go out and sit on a dock somewhere and drown a nightcrawler, and I'm going to, you know, worship God out there. You know, is it possible to worship God outside? Sure it is. I've done a lot of it on a deer stand. It's great. Okay? In fact, I've recommended it to some, to some young women uh, who, who don't hunt. You know, you should get yourself a deer stand and go sit in it. Be away from your kids for about two hours. It's great. <laughs> okay. Um, but there is more to the Christian life than just you and Jesus. We're also part of a larger whole. And we're meant to be connected together. And we're meant to have a role and a function within the body of Christ. Just like your body has a whole lot of different parts, and they don't all have the same function, uh, we're all also many different people. But together in Christ, we form one body, and we're part of one another. And by the way, it's important for the body to have all of the parts. Let me just explain here in a quick story what I, what happens if you don't have all of the parts right uh imagine that you're four years old this is this really happened to me okay imagine that you're four years old and you're and you 're asleep in your bed downstairs and your parents are upstairs and you have a fever, and it is bad enough that you're having nightmares because your fever is high and you're sweating and all this. And, and you look over at the wall, and you see giant pink eyeballs coming through the wall at you, right? And then as they get closer and closer to you, they open up, and there's giant big fangs that are opening and closing and running at you, right? And this actually happened. It terrified me, woke me straight up in bed. I, I started screaming. I ran into the bathroom. They started coming through the mirror Okay, I ran upstairs. Dad, ah! You know, I'm running upstairs. Still, to this day, I can close my eyes and see what these look like. Okay, scared. I've never been so scared in my life as I was at four years old. And I run upstairs and I tell mom and dad what's going on. And, of course, my dad, I'm sure, it was doing like an eye roll that could be heard down the block. Uh, <laughs> right? But, um, but because it wasn't real, Right? wasn't real it was just a nightmare or maybe a hallucination i don't know but it was just a nightmare but here's what happens if everything in the body gets narrowed down to just two parts you don't have a body you have a monster If everything in the body of Christ gets narrowed down to just one or two parts, guess what? You don't have a body. You have a monster. Some of y'all have been part of those kind of churches. Amen? Where everybody's spiritual gift gets ignored unless it's one or just a couple. That's not a body. That's a monster. In the body of Christ, Jesus Christ has intentionally arranged the body with a variety of parts. And some are stronger, and some are weaker, but all of them have their own individual functions. And all are necessary for the body to thrive. If you leave some out, what you get is a horror movie. Instead, what we need in the body of Christ is both the, the, the diversity of all of the various parts functioning and the unity of them all functioning together as a unit, right? So within the body of Christ, both unity and diversity have significance and value that we're all different and yet we're all part of the same coherent thing. We all fit together, right? And you, they're all necessary. Every single part of your body is necessary. They even think now that your appendix, you, you could live without it, is probably necessary. That it does have a function. There are, there is nothing useless about any part of your physical body and in the same way there is nothing useless about anyone in the body of Christ we all have a necessary contribution and a necessary function and a necessary role that we are to fulfill and if we're going to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice as 12.1 tells us then we're going to We're going to need to see ourselves with sober judgment. We're going to need to see ourselves not with pride, not with false humility, but as part of the body of Christ. And with a role to play and a job to do and that our gifts come to us by God's assignment. And they are there to enable us to function as part of the body of Christ. And so then verses 6 through 8 tell us how to serve the body with your gifts. So let's look at the gifts here. Um, Verse uh, verse 6 here at the end. um, Let's see here. Let me just read verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. Uh, We have gifts that differ according to God's grace. In other words, this is underlining again the the fact that it is God who assigns the gifts and the measure of gift that we get. It is His sovereign choice. Uh, God has created a whole lot of people who have better gifts than me, better gifts than you. He's also created other people who have different or lesser gifts than you or different different and lesser gifts than me. But all of them are necessary. And God gave those gifts to be used and that's what the text says here. Let us use them. Um. And then he, in the rest of the text here we get seven specific gifts and we get instruction on how to put them into practice. He starts with prophecy. Uh, this is how I understand that gift. Uh, in the Bible there's often a predictive element to this gift. Uh, we certainly see that in a big portion of the prophets and in, uh, uh, in, in John uh, the Apostle's writings in Revelation. About about 60 percent, actually, of the of the Bible um, was predicted in some way uh, at the time it was written. Okay, so often with the gift of prophecy, there's some predictive element to it, but there's also mixed in with the gift of prophecy uh, an 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 exhortation aspect to it, a hortatory aspect to it, where you are encouraging people, um, pushing people, prodding people toward obeying God. And the prophetic gift can be used in that way. Uh, prophecy is closely associated with the writing of the Scripture itself. And so Peter, in, his, uh, in one of his letters, calls the Bible the, the prophetic word. And so I'm not certain that God is continuing to raise up prophets. But I know that God has raised up prophets and that he speaks to us in the prophetic word from the prophets. Amen. And uh, and if a person is a prophet, though, their gift is to be employed in proportion to the faith given, meaning you should not try to impress people with his or her gift if you're a prophet. Uh, but speak only when convinced that the Holy Spirit is speaking through him or through her. Uh, and by the way, the rest of us in the body of Christ have the responsibility, biblically, to evaluate whether or not the word spoken lines up with the written revelation that God has already given. And by the way, God gave a standard for prophecy, Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 17. Uh, God says, if the prophet speaks something and it's not true, uh, you're to put them to death. Okay, so uh, 100% accuracy uh, on anything that you say uh, if you're a prophet. If you make a prediction and it doesn't come true, guess what? You do not have the gift of prophecy. And you should not claim that you do. Because God's word always is true. All right? Um, Sometimes people want to fudge on that. They want to say, well, New Testament prophet might be different. I go, did God make a change somewhere? Because it didn't show up anywhere in Scripture that his prophets could be fallible. Uh, In fact, uh, the Bible says 100% accuracy or you're not a prophet. Period. Okay? Okay. So you have a responsibility, though, in the body of Christ to evaluate whether or not uh, what someone claiming to be a prophet has said and whether or not it is uh, from God. If it lines up with Scripture, if it comes true, it's from God. If not, it's not. And you can safely disregard that person's claim of having a prophetic gift. Uh, The second gift is service, uh, which is simply meeting the needs of the church in all of the myriad ways that need doing. Uh, Service includes everything from mowing grass, replacing light bulbs, emptying trash, making coffee, serving donuts, setting up tables, cleaning toilets, working in the nursery, uh, all of the just myriad amount of just stuff that needs doing in order for the church to function. And a whole lot of people have service kinds of gifts. Where if something needs done, there's a whole bunch of us who will jump in and do that. And that's good. Uh, God has, has intended that it work that way. And you use, those, you use a service gift by doing those kinds of things. It's a doing gift. Uh, the third gift is teaching. Teaching includes all the ways that we instruct other people in the ways of the Lord. So it includes things like Sunday school and Awana and small group and Bible study and similar ministries uh, that are all designed to utilize a teacher's gift of passing on the truth of God's word to other people and helping them to understand it and to apply it. Teachers need to teach, Right? Uh, what do you call a guy uh, who says he's a writer who doesn't write? I don't know, right? I mean, a few words come to mind. Bum, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know, right? Uh, what do you call a teacher who doesn't teach? I don't know, right? Uh, if you have a teaching gift, you're to teach. In fact, if you have a teaching gift... Uh, very often you get antsy to do it if you haven't done it in a while. Some of you may have noticed if I've been out of the pulpit for very long, I get itchy, right? I get. In fact, I, a lot of times the first Sunday that I come back in the pulpit after being gone for a while, it's a long sermon because I've got all this stuff I've wanted to say, right? If you're a teacher, you have to teach, have to teach. Uh, fourth gift is exhortation. Exhortation is uh, kind of a crossword puzzle word that means encouraging, prodding. As as Hebrews uh, ten twenty four says, spurring. Right, spurring is not always comfortable, but spurring people on to obedience encouraging other people to walk with God and to obey Jesus. This is a big part of what the Sunday sermon is for. Is spurring, encouraging, exhorting people to obey God, to live right according to God's word. Fifth gift is giving. Here the ESV has it contributing. Uh, God often blesses people with finances uh, to make other ministries possible. And to the people that God has given those gifts, he asks that they give generously. A spirit that recognizes that God has given generously to them. And by the way, if you're here this morning... It means you live in America, and we're abundantly blessed, abundantly blessed, beyond measure blessed, and so all of us should be generous with our resources, with our time, with our money, with everything that God has blessed us with that we recognize that everything we have is a gift. Everything we have is a gift. So be generous. Uh, The sixth gift is leadership. And here the word says that leaders should lead with zeal. Leadership should never be seen as a burden. Should never be seen as a burden and, and church leaders are not to simply wing it. You know, just like um, if you're giving, you know, you don't give junk for Jesus, right? That's not the spiritual way of handling things. It's to give off the top and the best of what you have to the Lord, not what's left over, right? In the same way, if you're a leader, if you're someone that God has gifted for leadership, uh, you are to lead diligently and with zeal with preparation with energy this isn't this isn't a, a situation when you're leading in the church where you just go well it's good enough for government work right no there's to be zeal in what you do recognizing that this is not just a responsibility that we possess as leaders but a privilege amen That this is an honor that God has called me to lead other people into faith and relationship with Him and to point them in the direction that He is calling them to go. And so there's to be a zeal to it. And finally, the last gift mentioned here is is showing mercy. And this is the gift that is Caring for people at their point of need. It's the person who shows up in, at the hospital or at somebody's house when they're hurting or sick or lonely. It shows up in meals and money that's very quietly given uh, it's, it shows up in helping people with things that they're struggling with. It, it shows up in counseling, as listening to people pour out their pain and praying with them and things like that. Showing mercy, though, the scripture says, should be cheerfully done. Cheerfully done. That recognizes that other people and their needs, again, is not a burden, but a blessing. A blessing that you get to bestow on them. That you get to be the voice of encouragement in their life. That you get to show up at their bedside. That you get to rake their leaves or clean their gutters or... Or listen to their heart as they open up to you. You do it cheerfully. With joy in meeting the needs of the wounded and the hurting and the needy. Now, these are seven gifts. There are at least eight others that are listed elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, The point is not necessarily, I don't think, to be exhaustive. But to give kind of a summary of the different kinds of gifts, Uh, and thinking of ourselves rightly, as verse 3 tells us, means seeing ourselves as part of the body, and belonging to a body, and that we exist also to be a blessing to everybody else in the body with the gifts that we have. That the church does not simply exist for you that you exist for it and for the other members within it right i just want to want to just just as an aside here okay whenever i hear someone say that church should dot 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 my skin just kind of crawls just a little bit okay And I have to suppress a desire to say, I I think you mean you should, right? In fact, sometimes I don't suppress it. Um, (laughs) But uh, you misspelled that. You you, you meant to say, why, oh, you should, right? Uh, Because the reality is that the church is not something that exists external to you. Amen? Amen. You are a part of the church. And the church is more than the pastor and the elders. And so when you say the church should, what you should say is we should, I should. In fact, one of the ways that you know when God is calling you to do something is when you notice a need and it bothers you. One of the very best ways to, t- and in fact, probably the most common question I get from people is, Pastor, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? I learned this from Rick Rosetto. The very best question you can ask is, what drives you crazy when it isn't done or isn't done well? What do you look at when you see, it, when you, when you see ministry happen in the church and you see something that just drives you nuts? And you go, I wish we would do that different, you know. Or I wish mm, someone would fix that, right? Whatever that thing is, that's probably something that God has wired you to meet that need. That God is calling you to serve in. That God is calling you to fix Because it aligns with your gifts, which is why it drives you nuts when it's not done well or not done at all. You need to recognize that one of the reasons it bothers you so much is that it's probably something that you're gifted to meet and do. Here's another suggestion for how to use your spiritual gift if you don't know what it is start serving somewhere now please understand i'm not i'm not down on y'all at all in fact i think of of all the churches i've ever been in we have the most active congregation that i've ever seen serving in lots of different ministries And lots of us are busy, a big percentage of us are busy doing uh, a whole lot of things using our spiritual gifts. But if you're not serving somewhere, find an area and jump in there. Find something that bothers you that it's not done or not done right and start serving there. And if you experience God's blessing and God's pleasure as you're doing it, that's probably where you should stay and continue to serve. Regardless, don't sit and do nothing. Right? Remember, there were three servants in the parable. One who got five talents because he was greatly gifted. One who got two talents because he was moderately gifted and one who got one talent because he was only kind of gifted but the only one that got condemned by the master was the one who sat and did nothing who did nothing we are called to be faithful with the gifts that God has given us amen And so it will not wash on the day when the Master calls us to account, to say, I took your gift and I did nothing with it, right? We do not want to be ashamed in the presence of the Master. We do not want to have our life be, as 1 Corinthians 3 talks about, wood, hay, and stubble. Which is consumed. Scripture says there that the person himself will be saved only as one escaping through the flames. Right? Everything in their life was burned up. They didn't do anything that counted for eternity, but they got into heaven. That's not the goal. The goal is to have a reward, the goal is to use your gifts to serve the body of Christ. Not just be someone who is ministered to, but also as someone who ministers. So let's use our gifts. Think of ourselves properly as part of the body and use our gifts to be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have abundantly blessed and gifted us with all kinds of ways to serve you and to serve one another and to demonstrate love and care for the other parts of the body of Christ. Uh, Father, I pray that that if there's anyone here who um, is not doing anything, that they would find a place to use their gifts because they are needed. Uh, You have given given them to us because they're essential, and we are handicapped without them. And Father, I pray that you'd be working in us by your Holy Spirit to help us think of ourselves rightly. That, uh, that we might see ourselves as...